You can also identify based on the employee voice because employees will often go into a lot of detail about how these issues are breaking down and give practical suggestions to leadership for how you can actually fix these issues. The employees already know how to fix these issues. You, a lot of the time, you just have to listen to them. Hello, I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is hopefully your favorite career podcast where you get the insights to go from motion into action and make things happen. I'm your host, Johanna Herbst. I'm a certified executive and career coach and a management consultant with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. In our conversation today, we will focus on toxic cultures and how to spot them with the help of AI. That will lead us to the question of what requirements and measures help to improve toxic cultures. And yes, that is important since toxic cultures correlate with employee retention, engagement, psychological safety, or personal well-being. And to spoil it, a positive culture comes with financial benefits and improved employee satisfaction. Who doesn't want that? Before we jump in, let me quickly introduce my guest to you. It's no other than Charlie Sull. Charlie is the co-founder of CultureX. He has advised the senior executive teams of dozens of multinational organizations. He conducts regular research at MIT, and his thought leadership has been featured in The Economist, Harvard Business Review, MIT Sloan Management Review, Bloomberg, CNBC, and many, many more. With his brother, Donald, Charlie created the MIT Sloan Management Review, Glassdoor Culture 500, the largest systematic study of corporate culture ever conducted. Charlie graduated from Harvard College and lives now in Cambridge, Massachusetts in the U.S. I'm very excited. Charlie, welcome you today. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me, Joanna. I'm doing good. How are you? It's sunny. It's already in the afternoon, so I'm good. Thank you for asking. And to get things started, I prepared a few rapid-fire questions, short questions, short answers. Are you ready? Let's do it. I picked up on your LinkedIn profile that you went to grammar school in England. What's your tie to the UK? My father and co-founder of CultureX, Don, is an academic. So he, he was teaching. He moved back and forth between Harvard and London Business School when I was growing up. So I, the whole family moved uh, back and forth between Boston and, and London. Very nice. AI plays an integral part in your work today. Is AI now a blessing or a curse? Well, it's hard to say big picture. It's a very complicated issue. I would say in my specific domain of cultural measurement, it's definitely a blessing. I think it can actually unleash a lot of good for the world if you solve this huge bottleneck to cultural improvement, which is cultural measurement. I think AI can play a very large role in that, and it could be really good news for employees across the world say, who is one of your role models? David Beckham. Mm -hmm. Kick it like Beckham. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> big, big soccer fan. I thought he's always, you know, been the consummate gentleman and professional. And I also read that Manchester United is your favorite team. That's right. Yeah. It's, um, yes. it's, it's not the best days to be a Manchester United fan, but I've, I've supported them since I was six years old. So it's too late to stop now. But let's not go into soccer. What is one of the most important qualities in a leader? 
my area of expertise is culture and cultural improvement. And what we found is probably the single most important quality for a company to get right overall, or a large company if they're trying to, to improve their culture, which is also relevant for leadership, is a topic we call the voice of the employee. So if you're able to, in a large organization, have a good understanding of what your employees are saying, and you can incorporate that feedback and respond to it effectively, that's the single most important quality we, we have found for cultural success. And then at the personal level for leadership, I think that also resonates. I mean, it's, you know, it's a little bit different on the personal level, but I think certainly the ability to to listen to to what employees have to say and incorporate that feedback and act on it is a crucial part of personal leadership as well. And out of curiosity, how would your family and friends describe you in just one word? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I don't know why. Don't say too much, except when I'm on podcasts. And two more questions for the rapid fire. And what is the best advice you've been given in your personal or in your professional life? Probably just don't don't worry so much. I would say that's that's good advice. Just don't worry so much; it'll all work out. That that classic piece of advice. Love it. And what is one thing that people often get wrong about you? People often think that. Don is my my brother. He's my father. So that that happens all the time. I'm one of them, but I actually I thought I read that somewhere. You that... probably have. Yeah, it's been it's been frequently misreported. But I'll I'll try to set the record straight here. Yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking, it's like, oh, there must be an age difference judging from the pictures. You never know. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty big age difference. Perfect. But thank you so much. So. I'm very curious to learn more about you. And we heard bits and pieces about you. Would you mind sharing the key milestones that led you to where you are today? So my background is me and my co-founder, Don, when I started working with him after I graduated college a little bit more than 10 years ago, uh, we started working together and we did a lot of work on agility and execution, but we became increasingly interested in corporate culture, because that was kind of at the root of everything we were studying, or at least involved. It was kind of this, this really big piece of the puzzle that we didn't know as much as we wanted to know about. So we became more and more interested in culture. And then at the same time, you we were also very interested in this a kind of unglamorous topic of survey design, because we, we believe that measurement is very important if you're trying to improve an outcome. So over the years, we played around a lot with first kind of these more traditional survey methods. So you might be familiar with them. Large companies, they tend to be these dozens and dozens of questions on a scale of one to five. I agree with this, I agree with this, and, and so on and so forth. And the more we researched this, the more disillusioned that we became. So we became big fans of Nick Bloom's research on survey design. So one of the first things that Don and I did when we started working together is we applied Nick Bloom's research and uh, maybe built on it a little. And we applied this to a different use case of measuring corporate culture relating to agility and execution. And we did this in kind of a traditional survey, but it was a traditional survey that was designed to address the shortcomings of traditional surveys, things like autopilot and different kinds of bias and, and so forth. So this led to a, a survey that actually picked up a lot of traction. It was a cover story of Harvard Business Review And it's been used by over a thousand companies across the world and taught at MIT oh, wow. in the school. 
So for a traditional survey, it did it did pretty good, and we, we we thought it got to a pretty good place of measuring agility and execution. But even still, there were pretty significant limitations with this kind of survey. For starters, it took about 30 minutes, often more than 30 minutes to complete. And even when you were asking all these questions, you could only really learn about a couple of topics. You could only really learn about agility, ex- execution, cross-unit collaboration, maybe a couple other things. We became disillusioned even with these kind of modifications of the traditional survey. Now we were interested in two things. So we were very interested in corporate culture in general. We, we thought that was increasingly important. And we were very interested in kind of the perfect way to implement a survey, the perfect way to measure corporate culture. So this led us to our big project that leads me to where I am today. We spent about eight years developing an AI platform at MIT that uses natural language to measure corporate culture. So now instead of this 30-minute survey that still has kind of these limitations, you can deliver a five-minute survey or if employees want a one-minute survey that takes their free text and analyzing this free text measures hundreds of different evidence-based cultural topics and basically allows you to get a really robust measurement of organizational culture. And today that, that survey is used to power a lot of research from places like um, Harvard, Stanford, Oxford, and, and many other institutions. And we also use it with CultureX to help leading companies measure and improve their their cultures. Wow. Before we dive in, one question I just have to ask, how is it to work with your dad like day in and day out? It's really good. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've, developed, we've developed a really good working relationship. And yeah, I think it's a real blessing. I mean, not, not too many people, my, my generation, really get to spend this much time with their, with their parents. So I, I think it's a real blessing. And so when it's time for holidays, can you then switch off and be like, now we talk family? Or do you always talk about work? Uh, when it's not holidays, we do normally always talk about work. Not always, but I mean, that, that's a frequent topic of conversation. But then on holidays, we have a strict rule where there's, there's no work talk. So we, we just go for a week or two without, uh, without talking about work. Love it. I mean, there are so many things I find so intriguing, but it's like maybe first we get started with the wording, just making sure we're all on the same page. What is actually the company culture? We use Jennifer Chapman and Charles O'Reilly's definition of culture, which I would kind of paraphrase as culture is basically what you do, the, the values you aspire to, your behaviors, the norms you follow in the absence of direct instruction from your supervisor or your leadership. It's kind of what you do when, when your boss is out of the room, kind of how you behave a little bit more naturally and the, yeah, the, the values and, and norms that you follow. So, um, practically, I mean, that can be hundreds of things, right? It, it, or yes. tr- trillions of things. And practically how, how we measure culture is, you know, it, it's, we think it stands to reason that if you, uh, if something is going well, if, if there's a value that you aspire to that's being lived up to or behaviors that are successful, you'll tend to speak positively about them if it matters to you. And vice versa, if something's not working so well, you'll tend to speak negatively about it. Uh, so this allows culture to be measured basically using a free text approach. So one way you can measure it is with um, millions of Glassdoor reviews. The Glassdoor comments have a, a section for what you like about the company, your pros, and what you dislike about the company, your cons. And employees will often go into 
tremendous level of detail and nuance when, when they write these reviews. So using that approach, you can basically measure culture in terms of how favorably and how frequently employees speak about hundreds of topics across hundreds of different companies. And so each company would then have kind of its own cultural fingerprints. So they're going to speak about the culture in different ways. For instance, they might say, you know, learning and development, we speak about very vocally and very favorably, but innovation, we almost never speak about. And when we do, we speak about it negatively and so on and so forth across hundreds of different topics. And, you know, of course, with, with that level yes. of complexity, no, no two cultures are going to be exactly the same. And what I was wondering is like, is a toxic culture something subjective? And I was once doing projects within a bank. And to me, I shared this a few times, like it was the worst experience ever. So I would say, hands down, that was a toxic culture. But I don't know if that was only my perception or if everybody in the room was thinking the same thing. I have no idea. If you experienced the culture as toxic, that certainly has validity. So in, in your eyes, that was a toxic culture for you. Now, how we measure whether a culture is toxic or how toxic a culture is, is what percentage of employees report toxicity compared to mm -hmm. uh, other companies or, or comparable companies. And in terms of subjectivity of, of toxicity, when we started to research toxic culture, one of the first challenges we encountered is there are a million different definitions. It seems like kind of everyone has their different definition about toxic culture. I read... LinkedIn post saying bureaucracy is the root of all toxicity, which I, you know, I, I totally don't believe. But uh, so how we tackled this problem is we took 1.3 million Glassdoor reviews, and then we looked at in those Glassdoor reviews which topics, when they were mentioned negatively, tended to have the the greatest negative impact on an on overall employee satisfaction as measured by their Glassdoor rating. Um, so it's very interesting. So. We measure hundreds of evidence-backed topics, and when most of them are mentioned negatively, they'll, they'll have a, a small negative impact on the overall glass rating. So, for instance, when compensation is mentioned negatively, which happens all the time, it'll have a negative impact of maybe negative, negative 0.1 or 0.15 out of 5. And that, that's the pattern that most of these topics exhibit when, when they're negatively vocalized. However, there are a handful of topics that really buck this trend. So there are some topics when they're mentioned negatively, they they tank the glass star rating by nearly a full point out of five. So kind of levels of Z scores and Z scores higher than 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 the typical topic. And these are the topics that we classify as toxic. And the reason we classify them as toxic is because they have a demonstrably stronger negative impact on employee satisfaction than normal topics. So we, um, we, we, we wrote an article about it. We called them the toxic five and we, we classify them as a uh, disrespectful behavior, non-inclusive behavior, unethical behavior, abusive behavior, and cutthroat competition. Those, those are the, the topics that have that impact on. Uh, so you're on basically describing a bank. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, thanks, Perry. I mean, all, all, All industries vary in terms of toxicity. You'll get some companies in every industry that are more or less toxic. I will say the legal industry, if you look at industries compared to one another, the legal industry, more, more than finance, exhibits some, some serious challenges with, uh, with toxicity.
checked out the website where you have the um, results from the Glassdoor study and where you can compare one company against the other and see how they do in the different dimensions. Actually, I found that super intriguing because is that something you encourage people to use when they are looking for a potential new employer to see what is the culture there? Because it's based on Glassdoor data, so it's actually coming from people who work there, so it feels very reliable. One thing we would always recommend to anyone searching for a job is to make use of Glassdoor because that is a tremendously valuable resource if you're trying to understand what it's going to be like to work at a company. So we'd recommend, I mean, use our tool. It's maybe a couple of years old now. We're, we're going to hopefully relaunch it next year. So it'll. Um, we'd recommend checking back in then. But just go on Glassdoor.com, read through. If, if you're seriously considering a job, read through 100 reviews see what pops. I mean, Glassdoor, amazing data source. There is room in yes. my humble opinion to, to improve their text analytics on, on the website itself. It's helpful to have sophisticated text analytics, but you yes. can also learn a lot just from manually reading through a hundred reviews. And if you're making a decision as consequential as choosing a new job, I would 100% recommend doing it. I saw one of your recent LinkedIn posts and you were saying that women are 41% more likely to experience toxic culture than men. What is behind that? What is behind that is kind of above my pay grade. I think it's, you know, it's <laughs> centuries of disenfranchisement, you know, I think is the root cause. But, but does that more mean is that women perceive more of the behavior as toxic or are they more treated differently in that situation as men and that's why it's more toxic for them? Well, I think it's the former. When you look at the different kinds of toxicity, the toxic five, four of those types are about treating people badly. So being yes. disrespectful to someone not being inclusive to them, being abusive to them, cutthroat competition. These are all kind of treating people badly. And then the fifth type is unethical behavior, which is bad, but it's not quite the same as the others because it's not really about mistreating someone. It's more about breaking rules. And yeah, it's a little bit different. So I think if it were the case that women where you know, maybe it was like a perception issue or something and they saw culture differently and they were, even though they were seeing the exact same thing, experiencing the exact same thing, they were more likely to report toxic culture than men because of you know this perception yeah. gap or whatever. Then I think what you would expect to see is that women would report all five kinds of toxic culture at a, an increased rate compared to men. What you actually see is that women, for the four types of toxic culture that are about being mistreated as, as being treated as less than, women are much more likely to report those four types. But for the fifth type, which is about rule breaking, women are no more likely to report that than men. So, and, and just also just, you know, when, when you read through the glass reviews, it becomes very hard to say, oh, these, you know, women are, you know, they're confused. They, they don't understand what's going on. They're misreporting this. It's, it seems much more likely just intuitively having read, you know, thousands of these to say that this, this is women's lived experience. Thank you. And we also want to, of course, understand what can you do if you have a toxic culture, like what are measures that companies can do? And then after that, I will ask you what the employees can do. Because when I asked you before, what is like one of the key qualities you were mentioning before, the voice of the employee. So I guess this is something that is important now if I want to work on my 
culture as an organization, right? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So there are two levels. What can you do on the company side? And then what can you do on the individual side? And unfortunately, I don't really have a good answer for the individual side. Because from our, from our research, it, it becomes quite apparent that a toxic culture is a systemic issue. So trying to do something to change a systemic issue as an individual is difficult. So for, it's something akin to, you know, trying to change capitalism if you're a citizen or trying to change yes. communism if you're a citizen. You know, you need senior leadership of the organization or the, the nation to to affect these changes. So on an individual level, what can you do? I mean, you can always try to be a good person, to treat people with respect and dignity. Hopefully some of that will come back at you. You can tell HR, of course, but of course, a lot of the times if the culture is toxic enough, HR is going to be complicit in that to some extent, or they're not going to be very effective. And probably not too much is going to happen. And of course, you're the third option is what many, many employees do because toxicity is a very strong driver of this. You can leave the company. You can, yes. uh, you can quit. And that's very common response to toxicity. Um, so that's what I'll add to say on an individual level. On the company level, things are a lot more optimistic. So we believe that real cultural change of any kind, including toxicity, especially toxicity, is possible and actually relatively easily achievable if you have two things. So one, you need senior leadership buy-in. So you basically need the CEO himself or herself to personally buy into this if you're trying to make real cultural change in an organization. And the way you, one of the ways to get that is you make a data-driven case using an external cultural measurement. You show that to the CEO. The CEO says, huh, okay, this is a little bit more concrete, a little bit more actionable now. Let's focus on this. And then the second thing you need for effective cultural change is effective measurement. So, it's, I mean, especially in a large company. So culture is a very complicated problem. I mean, there are hundreds of different topics going on, any one of which might be relevant in a given situation. And in a big company, you, you're operating in maybe dozens of different companies, dozens of different countries across all sorts of business units with all these different functions, selling all these different products. So, you know, large organizations are very complex with a lot of moving parts. So understanding what's going on in various parts of these organizations is really a large part of the issue. So part of culture change is basically a prioritization exercise. So if you can understand for any given population within, within a large organization, what are the issues you have to focus on and get a really good answer to that question, that's half of the battle, maybe more than half of the battle. And then the second part of the battle is after you've identified what you need to focus on in a given population, how can you actually improve it? And if you have effective cultural measurement, especially one of these, these new generation of AI tools that, that, yes. use a, that use AI to measure culture, as opposed to these one to five point scale surveys, you can have both of these problems solved. So you can not only identify in various populations, what are employees speaking about the most vocally, the biggest pain points, how does that benchmark and so forth? How does that change over time? What should I focus on? You can also identify based on the employee voice, because employees will often go into a lot of detail about how these issues are breaking down and give practical suggestions to leadership or how you can actually fix these issues. The employees already know how to fix these issues. You, a lot of the time, you just have to listen to them. 
So using this, these new AI tools for cultural measurement, you can also identify how to fix the issues just purely from the measurement. And you can do this all through a survey. You can do this all through a, a survey that typically takes about five minutes to complete. So on a company-wide level, I'd say, yeah, the two things you need are senior leadership by an effective measurement. And of course, changing a culture is more complex than that. There are all sorts of things you have to consider, like social norms and distributed leadership, work design, many other things. But those are all to some extent details if you have yes. those two critical ingredients of senior leadership buy-in and effective measurement. You can, you can kind of figure the rest out. And you are working with companies that really want to improve their culture, right? What kind of companies are eager to do so? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before, but that's exactly the right question to ask. What, what, what makes you actually want to change your culture? I mean, there are a few different say there are two reasons why senior leadership isn't bought into this. One is, this makes them sound a little bit bad, but, but, but there's basically apathy and there's ignorance. So there's apathy around what your employees experience. And unfortunately, I wouldn't say that this is the majority of companies, but in some companies, there's senior leadership that just doesn't care about their employee experience. And if they, if they just genuinely don't care about their employees experience, they're going to be less incentivized to change their culture because that's one of the primary reasons why you change your culture to help your employees. And then ignorance to, you know, use a blunt word, you're simply not aware of the benefits of corporate culture, of the financial benefits. Some of our clients will come to us because they, you know, their score for care about employees on Glassdoor is just off the charts. I mean, they, they just have this tremendous culture where leadership really, really cares about their employees and that's their primary motivation, which is great. Uh, that's not all of our clients. And a, a lot of them come to us because there's this growing and very powerful body of evidence that suggests that culture, besides improving the employee experience, also has a tremendous impact on financial value creation. Culture impacts value creation through two mechanisms. One is through the employee experience. So employees care a ton about culture. That's going to be a huge driver of employee satisfaction. In fact, if, if you do a Glassdoor analysis of more than a million reviews and apply this Nobel Prize cited machine learning explainability model, our best guess is that culture accounts for approximately 40% of everything that matters to, to employee satisfaction. So if you can improve it, that's going to have a big impact on things like engagement, attrition, satisfaction, which can bleed into other things like, you know, customer centricity and safety and, and all sorts of, of good outcomes. So that's one mechanism. And that's a pretty su substantial mechanism. So there, there's one of our favorite studies is done by this professor, Alex Edmonds, who, who, who was at Wharton at the time he did this study. And he did a very rigorous analysis, basically how corporate culture defined as a strong employee experience measured by appearing in the best places to work list in Fortune, I believe, how that basically impacted share price. It was very rigorous research. I, I think this was a Journal of Economic Finance this was published in. And basically his conclusion was that over the course of five years, a strong culture is associated with essentially a 20% market cap premium over an average culture. So your overall firm valuation is going to be basically 20% higher because you have a strong culture. So that's, for, for large companies, this is a multi-billion dollar phenomenon. It can be a multi-billion dollar asset. It can be a multi-billion dollar liability. But either way, for, for, for big companies, culture 
really matters financially from an employee experience perspective alone. That's one way it matters. The second way, we're just starting to learn more about this, but there's reason to believe that the second way matters even more. And the second way that culture affects financial value creation is through norms, values, and behaviors that directly affect value creation. So these are topics like agility, execution, innovation, effectively rewarding performance, cross-unit collaboration, things like this. So topics like this, take agility, for instance. Agility is a very common pain point across many organizations, particularly large organizations, but it normally doesn't have a very large impact on the employee experience. Nevertheless, it stands to reason that if your company is, is very good, it's successfully cultivated a culture of responding to new opportunities, moving quickly, responding to customer demands, it's going to be more financially successful. And we're just kind of in the early days of measuring this. But one very quick and dirty analysis we did is we took the top 2.5% most agile companies in the, in the Culture 500, our, our large study of corporate culture based on over a million glass store reviews that, that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago. We took the top 2.5% most agile companies and we looked at, who were publicly traded, and we looked at their share price over a five-year period. And over this five-year period, uh, the S&P 500 increased by about 70%, NASDAQ increased by about 120%, and the most agile companies, their share price increased by over 500%. So again, early days, but quick, quick and dirty exercise that gives us more reason to believe that agility matters. This is... A, a very long-winded answer to your question, but in terms of motivates senior leadership to care about culture, typically the case is either they really care about their employees, they want to find ways to listen to the voice of the employee and help them, or failing that, or maybe in addition to that, they really believe that culture produces tremendous financial value. And there's a lot of evidence for that too. And if a company now really wants to focus on a better culture, do you have data on how long it takes that it really shows an impact that maybe the class reviews are improving or the retention is going down? Do you have any data on the time frame? Yes, this is kind of a point of con contention. So if you ask the Shine father and son team, one of their points that, you know, there are these legendary culture researchers, they, they basically invented the, the study of organizational culture. And one of their points is that culture change is possible, but it takes a really long amount of time. You know, we're, of course, heavily influenced them, but that's actually one of the areas that we disagree with them on. So we think what's going on, especially in large organizations, is cultural measurement is largely pretty broken within these organizations because they're relying on these cultural measurement tools that are basically based on technology developed in 1932. These one to five point scale surveys on a scale of one to five, I agree with this, on a scale of one to five, I agree with this, so on and so forth for oftentimes more than 50 questions, more than 100 questions I've seen. So employees don't like these surveys when they are when they have to take them, they go on really large degrees of autopilot, so they barely pay attention to the question being asked. So in a typical 40-question Likert scale survey, the average respondent is going to answer 90% of all questions with the same two answers. So they're, they're not going, oh, this one, let me think about this, that's a five, and this one, let me think about that, that's a two, and this one is a two, and that's a four. Oh, like, tick, 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 what what tick, they're really doing is they're just going down and going, they're answering about 70% of them with the same answer. So that for the most part, they're just going four, 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 
then occasionally they'll go five, then four, 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 five, four, 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 five, four. That, that's the pattern with it, with these surveys. So it's, it's quite difficult to learn about the culture. And as I mentioned before, it's our belief that to improve a culture, you need two things. You need your leadership buy-in and you need effective measurement. So when we apply these new measurement techniques, this next generation AI cultural measurement, you can actually get pretty radical culture transformation in a relatively short period of time. So for instance, recently we applied these techniques to a large organization, 150,000 employee grocery store. And within just six months of this tool to, to basically identify the cultural issues to address and, and how to address them, after the six-month period across this 150,000-employee organization, employees were 61% more likely to positively speak about the culture. And that's just one metric. You know, We measure hundreds of different cultural topics, and you can see pretty impressive cultural transformation across a variety of dimensions. So it's, it's our belief, and we see it pretty often with CultureX, that if, if you do have these two ingredients, if you have senior leadership buy-in and you have effective measurement, pretty significant cultural change is possible in a relatively short amount of time, even in very large organizations. But you do need those two ingredients. If, you, if senior leadership doesn't care, it's not going to happen no matter how good your measurement is. If senior leadership cares, but you don't really understand what's going on, it's, it's probably not going to happen. With the shorter time frames, it means it's also something for leadership that is not even looking at long term. So this could be something for anybody and everybody. Yeah, we, we hope everyone does this. I mean, it's our hope. And, you know, we're not the only AI cultural measurement. In, in five years, 10 years, this is how everyone yes. can be doing it. Basically, our goal is, as CultureX is to be part of the movement that improves culture around the world. So right now, if you look at Glassdoor, The average rating of culture of employee, employer culture on Glassdoor is 3.5 out of 5. And that actually doesn't vary as much as you would think across things like industry or country. It's, it's pretty stable across both those dimensions. Basically, across the board, across the world, as far as, far as we can tell, employees think of their culture as 3.5 out of 5. And that is not great. We, we think there's significant room for improvement there. So in a nutshell, what we hope to do by, by providing more effective cultural measurement and pioneering this AI form of cultural measurement is move that 3.5 to a 5, maybe not 5, maybe a 4. I hope uh, I get to see that before I get old. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. And looking at that time, time is flying. Is there any last advice, input, looking at culture or at toxic culture from your side? I would just go back to what I said about voice of the employees. A lot of people ask me, what's the key to a successful culture? So we answered that in a pretty rigorous way. We took nearly 2 million Glassdoor reviews from nearly 2,000 of the largest employers in America. And using a pretty rigorous methodology, we, we chose the top 10%, what we call the culture champions, and the bottom 10% culture laggards. And then... For those two groups, we looked across hundreds of topics, what they did the best on compared to their industry on average, and what they did the worst on compared to their industry on average. The one thing that jumped out the most, the one thing that the culture champions tended to get right the most often was voice of employee. On average, they were, they were about a standard deviation better than their industry. It's something they almost always had in common. And conversely, the thing that the worst cultures tended to get wrong the most One of, the, one of the biggest factors you saw was also voice of the employee. Yes. So if there's one big difference between cultural success and cultural failure that we see reflected across millions of Glassdoor reviews, 
It's this ability to understand what is going on with your employees in a large organization and different parts of the organization, effectively incorporate that, that feedback into your decision-making and act on it. And if you can do that effectively, you have a really good chance of, uh, of cultural success. So those would be my parting words. Perfect. Perfect. I only have three more questions. Okay. What is coming up next for you? What is coming up next for me? I'm moving to Colombia on a personal level. I'm me and oh, my wife wow. going to move to Colombia for a year. Want better coffee? Partly about the coffee. It's it's kind of just a little adventure for us, and I can Super I can cool. do full treks anywhere. Yeah, so that's fun. I'm going to Vegas in a couple of weeks for the HR Tech Expo in Las Vegas. If anyone's going to that, come to our booth, please. <laughs> on the culture side, we're developing this new app, which which we think is going to be pretty impactful. So the basic idea of this is for the past two or three years now, we've, we've been working with leading companies to kind of refine this approach to taking an un unstructured employee feedback and translating that into actionable insights. We basically perfected that, perfected or gotten that technique to a good place Or we can do it with clients and it's, it's leading to really powerful results. So the next step for us is to take what we've learned about how to do this and put it into an app that we can give directly to clients. And this way, someone on the HR team of a, of a big company or a mid-sized company or people analytics, they can have these capabilities themselves. And we think they'll be able to get a lot more use out of that. That app is, is very close to, to beta testing. So we're, we're really excited about that. Wow, impressive. And I like to ask my guests, who else should I have on the show? Do you have like one, two names that you can share with me? Yeah, let me, let me think about that. Yeah, I, I, have a few, I have a few founder friends. Can I send you them offline? Yes, please. And then the very last question. For people who feel inspired, I should come to Vegas to the HR tech fair and check out the Culture X booth. They can go to your LinkedIn profile, go to the Culture X website is there any other way for them to stay in touch with you yeah i'm pretty good with email just do do any of that stuff it'll get back to me eventually or just send me an email charlie at culturex.com perfect charlie that was so insightful and thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom that was really fun yeah thanks for having me joining i hope you enjoyed the episode as much as i did isn't that amazing what we can already do with the help of ai Anyway, please follow me on social at Delegate and Reaching Your Goals podcast. If you want to hear from us in between episodes, please sign up for our newsletter at delegate.substack.com. And if I can ever be of help with my coaching add-on, just drop me an email or reach out to me via LinkedIn. With that, we are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.